Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. What is trauma? Well, you could look up the definition in the dictionary and uh, that'll tell you. What does trauma do, well, to the person, but to the physical body? Is there a connection between feeling trauma, experiencing trauma, and some kind of physical response, disease response, or whatever? We're curious to find out. Jerry Pives is someone who should know. He's had plenty of experience in it, and he joins us from Wanaka, and Jerry, welcome to the program to talk about trauma. I think it's a good time to talk about it. Just, well, first of all, welcome. Hello. <laughs> thank you, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. And second, before we start, you know, talking about the core topic, I'm curious, how did you get to where you are now sitting in Wanaka? I believe it was quite a journey. <laughs> it started in New Zealand, right, at Waiheke Island. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, back in the, uh, well, you know, early, very late 1950s and the very first year of 1960, up to 61, uh, until I was four, um, I grew up pretty much on Waiheke, Waiheke Island. Um, and uh, yeah, then then I got abducted by by um, my, uh, not aliens. Uh, I was going to say they didn't experiment on you, did they? <laughs> <laughs> my parents abducted me and took me to this grey, miserable land called England. And I had to go through this trauma of going from, you know, what is heaven on earth here in New Zealand and, and Waiheke Island above all and, and living yeah. bare feet and sand and sea. And Can you remember those times as a, oh, a four and a half year old or whatever? Yeah, vividly remember it. I remember, you know, one of the vivid memories is is the the rain. Funnily enough, you know, the, I, I can still see the rain bouncing off the dusty roads, you know, and and my father tapping the tanks, the, the big water tank on the roof, you know, very vivid memories of that. Wow. Yeah, just amazing. And then and then memory of just how cold and grey and miserable everybody seemed to be over in over in London. And uh, at the age of four, and I think probably. <laughs> Is that the first time you experienced a culture shock at I, the age of four yeah. and a half? You, you know, when you grow up around Kiwis and all the spirit of Kiwis, certainly in the late 50s and 60s, very, very characterful people around you. And then, and then you know, because we, my, my, my father came to New Zealand as an engineer. So he came here had me and my two brothers and then he went back because his father died and then he sent my mother a ticket uh, to to come back she wasn't given any choice in this but she was given the 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 the, the boat ticket the the, the, the right the, it was the ship of course yeah it was on the sitmar line back in the day and and, and that was uh, it later became pno didn't it but it was but it was it was you know she she got seasick so he sent her an, a, a boat ticket to get back he flew back you know because about six six or seven legs in the airplanes in those days yeah then that, that would have been an expensive trip it was very expensive to fly across the world that's why everyone used to go on ships still yeah. That's right. And, and, and so we spent six weeks traveling by boat back to the UK, which was actually amazing. I have still vivid memories of that. We went right through a hurricane. And do you want to hear a funny story about that, Paul? Yeah, let, let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, everyone on the boat was told to go down below. And, and you know, we were going through this hurricane. And and uh, it just so happened that that the one of the crew members walked past, looked out the door in this, you know, swirling sea and great mountainous waves. And he saw these two little boys that's me and my elder brother running down the decks on the top there and we were just we were having a ball because we worked out that every time the boat tipped right down we could run down and then when it went up we just turned around and uh, we were, we physics like, physics only physics experiment yeah <laughs> but we were like you know the waves were coming over and everything so you got to be washed off Totally. And this crew member grabbed, I remember this, I remember running up down, down these things and, the, and being so excited by it all. And this crew member just picked us up under his arms and dumped us in my mother's cabin and said, you know, you should be looking after these children. And oh, bad mother, bad growing, mother. Yeah. Growing up in the toilet. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, such are the joys of, a, of an ocean sea voyage. Yeah. yeah okay it was it and then we stayed and i stayed for 58 years in the uk i definitely should have come back earlier but my son came back down here and and started a family here 
And uh, when all the COVID madness started, my my training company in the UK was for massage therapists. Yeah. And we couldn't do any massage. And I just thought, sod it, it's time to come back and and be with I was the only grandparent who could be with with them, you know, with the with my grandson, because all the others had English passports. Oh right. So you could come back in. I could get a right. I got in and I got in and and with my wife and we we've just been so in love with our grandson it's been just so beautiful to be here with him and to be a part of his life which is which is you know we were the only ones so we were kind of on duty doing duty for all the other grandparents as well who hate my guts of course because i got to spend so much time with him (laughs) and they Uh, they obviously were missing him like mad but yeah did you have to do the miq thing oh yes oh yeah how is that Dramatic, totally. Well, apart from anything else, um, you know, it was my it was my second marriage, and we this was we also made this our honeymoon trip. So we we got. I mean, Uh, everyone's story. Everyone's got these stories, haven't they? But we got to Rotorua. We were placed in Rotorua, and and for the quarantine, and then about sort of a few days in. About seven days in, my wife tested positive for something or other, some bug stuck in her nose, whatever, whatever the okay. PCR tests yeah. think they're testing. Whatever, whatever it was tuned to pick up at the whatever time. Whatever they were picking up on that. And so so uh, we were rushed in a sealed cab with a driver behind a glass door, and we weren't even allowed to have any ventilation because they were saying that our, our air would poison. This uh, is insane to hear. Yeah, no, we, we weren't even allowed to stop for a toilet. You know, it was like we were two hours driving from Rotorua Christ. to Sky. What's it called? The hotel at the um, at the airport. The yeah, um, this is, it was the Sky yeah, Hotel or something like that. Whatever Sky. it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, another well, one you mean? And 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 then when we got there, remember this is our honeymoon. <laughs> we got there. This is weird. They said, they said, "Well, if you go into the same room together, then when she's clear in ten days' time, you'll start your two-week quarantine all over again." Oh, okay. Yeah, I see how they've figured that one. Yeah. Yeah. So so then so then so then we said we looked at each other and said, "No way, are we going to stay here that long?" So so we we went into separate rooms. So we were we were waving at each other from different room windows in the hotel during our honeymoon would you believe that <laughs> that's ridiculous that that um description of of you being driven is just it, it's almost i mean it'd be a comedy if it wasn't so serious right well you have to make it into a comedy don't you to to survive these things i mean i i had a very wise lifetime friend who was a liverpudley and a scouser in in liverpool and they've had tough times they know tough and and whenever, and she was working with me, my training company. And whenever things were going, getting really tough, I remember one particular situation. We were driving around London at two o'clock in the morning, trying to find a venue for our course the very next day because we'd been let down by the hotel that we were in. Uh, and so you just imagine that driving around looking for a for a, um, a, a training room for the for the next three days. And we're driving along, and I'm stressed out, and I'm I'm not handling it terribly well. And 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 she's driving along, and she's a great driver. And she said, she said, this will make a great story one day. And it just changed everything. <laughs> we just burst out laughing because it was like that's what you have to do with stress. Sometimes you have to just, you know, hit it on the head with something really like get a different perspective on it. You know, um, so yeah, I've, we've turned it into funny stories. But actually, it was that bad. And then I had to have because uh, I had some I had some food poisoning from the damn hotel. I want to meet that chef one day. Down Boy, just gets, like just down gets better and better, doesn't it? Oh, I tell you, I've never known anyone murder food. You know, turn vegetables into rubbish. He turned cooked food into raw. He turned raw food into whatever. I don't know how he turned every dish into something disgusting. I lost kilos of weight. <laughs> I lost yeah. kilos. I couldn't eat it. It was so horrible. Right. But when I when I came out, oh yeah, before I came out. And because she had the, um, because I had the food poisoning, of course, they kept saying, you've got COVID, you've got COVID. I said, no, it's the food. I'm sick of your food. You know? Yeah. So they really <laughs> wanted you to have it. You know, it's like, yeah, totally. it must be that. We want you to have that, not the food poisoning. And then then they kept sticking those swabs up my nose, which uh, and perforating the membrane. So my nose was bleeding. Um, they, 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 that membrane up at the top of the nose that they were shoving these 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 tests. I had something like 11. I had to take 11 nasal tests. Nowadays, I wouldn't let them. You know, no, 
No, but I had to take day, a few, but I would never allow it. I, I, I thought I should, this is what you have to do to get, get into New Zealand. And, you know, I was so traumatized by the whole thing that when we got out, I tell you this, Paul, when we got out, we, we, we moved in, we just hired a, an apartment or room in, 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 in Auckland. And then we went down to the harbour and we sat in a bar there and ordered, you know, just celebrating getting out. You know, my favorite meal is Prosecco and chips. It's my, it's my top, it's my top, top meal. And, and we were sitting in this bar and just being around ordinary people, not wearing masks at this point. No one, everything was normal in New Zealand at that point, apart from getting in and getting out. Yeah. And, and I sat in there and I just, I've never done this in my life, Paul, but I broke down. And there I am in this, all these, all these kind of, you know, people, you know, the, 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 the yachts race was on, the America's Cup was on, and there were lots of people being raucous. And there's me with my beautiful wife. I'm sitting in a corner sobbing with grief. I broke down completely because the relief. And it was only when I was out that I could actually feel the, the, the amount of trauma of the separation. Did, did that surprise you? That you reacted in that way? Did you know that was coming? Did you have a feeling that uh, was no, coming? It totally surprised me because you know I'm, I deal with I deal with pe- traumatized people all day as a psychotherapist. That's my life, and I'm I have to handle a lot of situations. You know, I have to I have to be able to uh, keep myself okay in the middle of other people's trauma. That's an essential skill of a of a, of a psychotherapist, and. And I thought I was okay. I thought I'd managed it. I'd used all the tra- techniques. I'd done this technique. I'd all the various things. But, you know, when I came out and I, I sat in that bar, it was just like, it just it was like a wave crashing over me. I couldn't stop it. Oh, yeah. And I just sobbed in the corner. My wife sort of gently sort of shielded me from all the all the lager louts that were having a great time in the bar, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's um, that, that, that's a, a a really cool thing to hear because I think a lot of people had that. That's trauma, right? That is you've just okay. described trauma, and, and let's move to that because, well, no, no, one more thing. The reason for you you coming back there was the honeymoon, but but that wasn't the only reason, right? No, no, I came I came back because um, both my son and my my his partner. My daughter-in-law, um, they they were really they they never had anything put into um, my grandson's body. You know, they they'd refused all 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 kind of vaccinations, injections, medicines. When they did something, they used you know homeopathy or they used herbs or they used natural creams and whatever. They were very keen on that, and I just I just had a feeling. I just had, it was a, it was a granddad feeling. If I'm really honest yeah. about it, it was a total gut feeling that I needed to be here to help them protect that little boy. Four, mm. He was three years old, he's five now, but yeah. to protect that little boy and protect his precious little body. And, and now it feels like we're having to protect his precious mind as well from what's going on. That's another conversation. But mm. but, but it was a real gut feeling. And I I also I talked, my wife was so wonderful. She just said, yes. Let's go. She was just amazing. Who would just up sticks and just go? You know, we we flew on a practically empty plane. It was went through went through um, Brisbane Airport that was empty. There was no one in Brisbane Airport mm. apart from our flight going through. It was unbelievable. You couldn't make this stuff up. It was like so strange. And yeah, the reason for the reason for coming back was was to just be a support and to be what grandparents need to be, which is we need to be there to pick up, to pick up the pieces whenever that we can to do, you know, we can't be the parents, but we can be something else. Can't we, if we're given the chance and, you know, I think you're you're probably getting some people thinking you've got me thinking because part of the aftermath of that, um, we ask ourselves questions and, you know, how far do you go in trying to persuade somebody not to do something. I mean, it's obvious if you you know you know the bridges collapsed ahead, you'll try and wave down the traffic. Stop the bridges, washed out. But when you're in an issue like this, where um, early on it was all about choice, and nobody was really thinking about safety and efficacy, though that came on very quickly after that. And you know, a lot of us, I was one, was very passive with the people I love, 
you know, I, I saw it as freedom of choice and uh, I respect your choice. And if you feel you need to do that, well, you, you know, I'm not going to criticize you, but I'm not doing that. And here are the reasons that um, I'm not doing it, though they weren't as respected as the reasons the other way. And we all know that that syndrome. But I wonder how many people are kind of regretting, and, and I might even be one of them, that they weren't like you. Like, you know, we didn't get a gut feeling that strong to say, well, hang on here. I know this could upset our relationship for a while, but over my dead body, are you going to do that and try everything that's possible to stop it? Um, I think a few people are getting their heads around that r right now because a lot of us were passive in that role when maybe we shouldn't have been at all. Damn the consequences of relationships at the time. Well, do you know, this is such a big, such a big thing, Paul, because you know, one of my children, another of my children is a daughter. She's she's worked in works in as a nurse. And I, you know, I begged her. Uh, I begged her not to take, first of all, the the uh, the injection. And then um, I begged her double time not to take any of these follow on ones. And and yet in all of this atrocious because, you know, look, from a selfish point of view, I've got two boys and and one one daughter. You know, I I I thought that's that's I won't be a grandfather from her. Of her. she won't have. You know, there's a risk. I know the feeling. <laughs> you know, it's so putting us through. And this is this is my family. You know, it's not just her decision. I know it sounds terrible in these days, but you know, having 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 the the ability to to bring children into this world, which is what I regard as a true woman having the ability and it's a responsibility for the, not just yourself and, and your partners. It's, it's for all the previous generations. Yeah. And it's not just the next generation. It's not just the granddad. It's the great grandparents. What we were, we were all here building something. And suddenly this, this terrible evil has come. I believe it's evil where that has been threatened. Now, you know, I, I know people who've had children, but I, I also know the stats on, on I'm very aware of the statistics <coughs> on the on the dangers of 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 you know um of, of miscarriage, the increase in miscarriage, the stillbirths. The stats are there for anyone to see, but it's so scary. And yet, in the middle of all of this, do we risk? I mean, what you said, Paul, do we say what the hell? Or do we say, no, I'm going to do everything I can to maintain our relationship, to keep our human connection, whatever it takes, that's what I'm going to do. And I have to say, although I came over here, you know, I have done whatever it takes to stay in relationship with my, my daughter, who's going a very different pathway to what I've done. And I think she's doing the same with me because at the time she was thinking, and she's actually left the NHS now. She can't stomach it anymore. But at the time she was tolerating me too. And I, that is really human. Good point. Good point. That, yeah. that is really human. We, we've got to stay human in all of this. And I just think, you know what? If we accepted other people's choices, that surely is the essence of being a human being. Yeah, yeah. But when you know there's, when you sense there's danger, you know, like I say, I gave you the um, analogy of the bridge. Of course, you'd flag people down. You'd try and stop them. Don't go. You'd stand in the road. But uh, I guess that's a kind of different set of circumstances. Well, and, and that rings true around when it's clear and obvious to everybody. But of course, what we've really suffered from in all of this process is a hidden kind of attack. This was never, no one ever said, here are the dangers of this, this injection. People were not told the truth. So this was a very underhand, devious, and very dark moment in human history when people who trusted governments, trusted doctors, were being advised to do things that are now becoming very clear. And for some of us, it was clear a long time ago, but now it's becoming clear in the media, are highly dangerous and very, very risky. Yep. Yep. Noted. All right. Um, I'm reading from your website. Trauma is not an illness. It is our nervous system doing exactly what it's meant to do. Explain that. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I kind of, I kind of, before I do that, I'd quite like to just go back to something you said right at the beginning, which is that, you know, what does, what does trauma do to the physical body? Because it's, it's very closely linked. And you see, if we go right back to the very word itself, trauma or trauma, as, as it's spelt in, in Greek, it just means wound. And for a very long time in the history of the word trauma, it just meant a physical wound. But in the last, since post-industrial age, it's come to mean something else entirely. Because now we say, oh, you know, he or she is traumatized, you know, and we don't just think of a physical wound. Or no, you're right. Yeah. We think, oh, there's something gone. They're unhappy. They're 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 distressed. We think of an emotional. We don't have to say they're having an emotion. They're they're emotionally traumatized. We just say, hey, they're traumatized. So the word has come to mean, interestingly, both emotional or psychological and physical. And the thing that really binds those two systems together is our nervous system. And over the last 30, 40 years, we have discovered so much about trauma through understanding more and more about the nervous system and particularly the brain. Can I ask you then, how do you define or describe the nervous system? I mean, is there a place in the body where it sits? <laughs> is it a distributed thing? Is it actually a physical thing? What, what is the nervous okay. system? Yeah. Well, the nervous system has kind of two components to it. One is the central nervous system, which runs from the brain down the spine and, and is the kind of the core nervous system. And then we have what we call the peripheral nervous system, which goes out from those core, those core places, the spinal column and the brain out into all our limbs. And that's where we get our sensations and our motor activity from. So everything we feel and everything we do passes through our nervous system. It's the unifying system of a human being. It's the one thing that we can't, you know, if you don't have nerves, you're just a blob on the ground, you know? <laughs> it's kind of like a, one of the core processes of the system, is it? I mean, obviously yes. it, it deals with all the, you wouldn't be aware of your environment at all without the nervous system. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah. So, so what happens is we've learned that the that the nervous system goes into very particular states when confronted by trauma and trauma generally is something that well there's lots of different definitions of trauma and i won't bore you with the details but some people talk about big t trauma and little t trauma which is just a load of bollocks in my opinion i'm not probably not allowed to say that am i oh, we we can get away with that one <laughs> um you know trauma is actually what happens to you and how you how you perceive something. So one person's trauma can be another person's just daily stress. As some of us are very susceptible to uh, being repeatedly traumatized, and, and I talk a lot about that else in other places, but I suppose what I'm trying to say is that trauma is anything that affects us in such a way that whenever we're reminded of that situation or, or, or that, that event or even a repeated series of circumstances like childhood memories, whenever we're reminded of them, we go into a state and it's either going to be a kind of a, a, an active, what we call fight or flight space, yep. Yep. or we go into an overwhelm. And, and the overwhelm really interests me almost more than fight or flight, because the overwhelm is when we shut down, where we kind of go inside and we become less and less responsive to the environment. And, it, and it, you know, if you want to know what's going on right now here in New Zealand is shut down on a massive scale because we have been overwhelmed with trauma. I've actually designated a new psychological condition, you know, psychotherapists and psychiatrists and psychologists, we love to name illnesses so we can then identify them, talk to other professionals about them and, and work out what to do to help people. Um, and there are, there are so many ways of doing that, but, but one of, one of the things that has not been identified as an illness, and I now call it an illness in my own my own mind is I call it the git G I T. And mm -hmm. I think people are now suffering from the git and the GIT stands for Government-Induced Trauma, wow. GIT. Okay. Yeah. And it's not that there's something wrong with us. It's just that we have been exposed 
to unbelievable amounts of externally produced trauma. And then everyone's going, oh, I'm feeling psychologically unhappy or depressed or anxious or shut down or agitated. And I'm going, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with you. This isn't some, this isn't anything yeah. with you. It's you. It's been imposed to- on you. Exactly. Like a blanket being thrown top over you. Top down. Yeah, top down. Totally. So, so when I'm working with people, I'm trying to find ways where they stop blaming themselves for how bad they feel and recognizing that actually they, that so much has been placed upon them and upon us, you know, that of course we're doing, of course we're getting anxious. Of course we're getting angry. Of course we're wanting to run to the hills. And of course we just can't cope and we want to have a duvet day or or worse. We just stop, stop, stop responding to people. And we go into isolation and we were forced into isolation. Hmm. That was at that time, but it's interesting you say that. What is the evidence that then that you see that this sort of withdrawal? Because that's what that's the point you're making. That's the withdrawal part that you were talking about, not the, um, the the flight one. I mean, a lot of us did stand and fight, and a few ran away and and did what they had to do. But uh, that that shutting down, closing the the system down progressively. Are you seeing evidence of that? sort of mindset out there at, at scale, do you think? Yeah, I mean, whether I'm talking about um, my practice as a psychotherapist or indeed as a, as a, as a massage therapist, I work as both as separate practices. Um, and whether we're talking about um, what I'm seeing around me, um, I think we reach a point where it's almost like too much. And, and people that were standing up and getting together and fighting – a lot of these people are just disappearing into their own little world and trying to just, they're just trying to cope that we're all just trying to cope. And there is this overwhelming sense for me from what I'm just picking up around me. And this is my personal view that people have had too much and we just can't, every new thing we hear about becomes another overload. And, and as and I suppose what I'm trying to say here is that, that this is because we our nervous system has taken on so much that it's just overwhelmed by the slightest thing now. So that and, and and if you want kind of evidence, you know, go look at the suicide rates and don't be don't be don't be kind of um put off by the fact that they now redefine suicide so it doesn't come up on the statistics anymore. So you've got to dig deeper than that. But there are people who have done that. But you look at suicide rates, you look at the mental health increase of depression and anxiety. And I tell you what, the medications aren't going to deal with this because it's accumulating. It's it's like a it's like an electrical charge trauma and it accumulates in our nervous system, in our in our bodies. And it really does affect us. And so so this is this is where I think my life quite accidentally has led me to being able to understand how everybody can help everybody else really easily because it's like an electrical charge that has accumulated in our bodies and it needs to discharge out into the environment like a we need to have ways to remove the charge of the trauma. We don't need to talk about traumas or or go through deep emotional processes or psychotherapy. What we actually need is to find a way to release this trauma out of the physical body. Now, a lot of people do that. They go out on tramps, they go running, they do exercise. That can do it to a bit. But you know, the real thing that my life has led me, quite without intending to, to discover is that this accumulation of trauma in the nervous system used to be discharged in traditional societies because we were together much, much more. And being together and literally touching each other more or doing activities communally together more, being in nature, walking bare feet more. Right. These discharge the trauma from the nervous system. And we're not doing those. We're walking on concrete. We're we're living much more isolated lives. We're living in front of these screens that you and I are sitting in front of. Yeah, but for a good reason, Jerry, good reason today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're not wasting our time. But I take your point. Um, one thing I've noticed, in, and I'd like to get your thoughts about this in the aftermath, and we don't want to get too bogged down 
But, you know, if something has delivered mass scale trauma and we're talking about trauma, how can we avoid it? You know, it is an elephant in the room. But there's a lot happening out there. Some of us are suspicious of, about what we see. For example, I see a lot of ambulances, you know, and I never used to see that many before. Now, I'm obviously wondering, well, what's all that about? And no one's talking about it. No one's talking about excess figures. No one's talking about things that are kind of right in front of you um, and perhaps obvious that in any other case would be front page news or the subject of a lot of chat between people. It's not there. Is that, is that um, an insight into, into trauma itself? Is that it operating? Well, it, I think my own view is that that's a demonstration of a shutdown state um, of of not really, I, I, it's not just that people aren't talking about it, Paul. Although we're trying, you know, they don't of, want it to. You get an anger reaction, let's say, as an example. It's like you tread on a landmine. Yeah, you know, it's at that level of tension. Yeah, and and it, because people don't want to hear it, because that's gonna. I mean, I, I am, I am deeply concerned about the people that are just becoming aware. Some of us have been aware of what's been going on for years. But the people that are just beginning to say, hold on a sec, this isn't quite right. You know, I mean, they don't even have to look into the figures of all cause mortality, which will show you that since since so much of these you know, isolation, lockdowns, uh, injections, that all cause mortality is skyrocketing in every country that had high high treatments, high injection rates and high government lockdowns. You don't even have to look at that. You just have to know that members of families and people you knew are keeling over. And 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 what do you what do you do with that when you've been so so convinced that to take this stuff and to take these awful measures was how you were caring for other people and how you were looking after your community and suddenly you think, "Oh my goodness, I'm one of the people that was actually you know attacking people." who exercise their choice not to have this. And now the people I've encouraged to do it, well, they're, they're dying of everything that you know, we, we're getting. I, w- I won't go into the terrible history because I think it's overly traumatizing, but people don't want to know. They don't want to hear because it creates such, we call it cognitive dissonance. It's like the, an internal uh, storm going on. And this is why I think before we even talk about this stuff, we all need to help each other. It doesn't matter what what side of the fence we are around what's been going on. We're all human beings. That's what unites us. And with the use of simple, traditional, ancient forms of touch, we can help each other discharge trauma out of the nervous system without being anyone's psychotherapist. And, and the, the book I've just, just published is all about how we've forgotten of the simple power of human touch to literally drain most, not all of it, but most of it, so we can then cope and manage. So that that's that's really what what I'm here to do now, Paul, is which is to show people of a lifetime working with touch that you know there's just three very simple touch movements that we can all help each other if we're done in the right way, because there's lots of different types of touch, but to to help each other so we can be free of this trauma and start thinking clearly and manage to deal with the things that need dealing with, which is a lot. And, you know, people like you and these, this radio program is full of people. We're all trying to make sense and know how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? And that's what we're trying to do. Interesting you talked about touch because the that period of time we were talking about was all about don't touch, don't go near people, don't have any physical contact, stay away. Yeah. Like the opposite. Yeah. 180 degrees. Well, we were we were being encouraged to be isolated. And when we're talking about the nervous system, Paul, the one thing, I mean, it's all very well doing. There's lots of self-healing things you can do, and they can make you feel a bit better. But the one thing that the nervous system is utterly freaked out by is the idea that we're on our own, that there's no help, that we're isolated. So and- wait on, is the nervous system some kind of distributed thinking or, or consciousness? Does it have its own? Because I'm not aware of what my, my nervous system doesn't ring me up and say, hey, I'm, I've got a few <laughs> issues today uh, and, and we need to sort of clear the air. If you don't deal with this, we're going to have some trauma here. 
I, I don't ever sense that. But you're saying it, or is that where those, um, well, thoughts, um, where that's stored? Is that is that where it physically is it's occupied physically in the nervous system? Yeah, you're you're, you're on it. You're on it now, Paul. The, the, it's really it's an ancient, um, unconscious. Uh, system that is very much controlling most of our day, but it's doing it instinctively. And so, you know, for example, when we feel a threat, uh, first of all, our body reacts to it, and then we become aware of the threat. Yeah, so the body, before you, you've it's dropped into your awareness, your body already knows. And I think that's even been measured, the time difference, and it's nanoseconds, isn't it? Or can be almost nanoseconds. Four point, it's 0.4 seconds. Oh, okay, well, it's not quite nano, but that's that's not long, right? Well, here's you, everyone knows this. Think about this. You trip over, all right, and before you've even said to yourself, "Oh, rats, I'm, I'm about to I'm about to hit the ground," your hands are already moving out to protect I you. I know. I know. Yeah. But or your you're hand, rebalancing or, before you even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Your hands are already there as even before you've consciously thought, I've tripped over. And that's an example of, of this instinctive and, and and very unconscious part of us. Um, Jerry, does that apply to, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I feel like I'm being watched or this place doesn't feel safe. And, you know, there's no, no actual physical cues to tell you that it's not does it even extend to that level of sensing do you think i i i do think so we haven't learned yet how to measure some of those things but it comes to instinct and isn't that interesting because all through this conversation paul right from the beginning you were talking about people who had an instinct what is our did we have an instinct did we disconnect from our instinct and how how close are we because i've seen many of the people who have questioned what's going on. When I've really talked to them, I said, well, what made you not, not get the, the jab? Or what made you think that something was wrong? And most people say, just felt wrong. Yeah, I, I felt wrong. So, so on that page. In fact, I could almost say, I'm not trying to make it about me, I remember the moment when it was almost like an audible voice said in my head, I'm not buying this. Yeah, yeah. And... People yeah. can't see you, Paul, although I can because we're doing this through a Zoom and I can see what a rugged face you've got and what a life you've lived. And so I know that you're a guy who's lived a lot and 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 experienced a lot. And I think sometimes if we've followed, if we've followed the things that we want to do in our life, we have a kind of we follow, we've learned to follow instinct. If we've just done what's always been expected of us and done what the teachers say, done what the bosses said, done what the employers say, all the time we're learning to override our instinct. Uh, uh, there's a sense. And I think this is really part of the nervous system. It's like an ancient, it's an anciently evolved system that operates on very different rules to how we consciously want to operate. And so we are, we, we need to know about this system in order to know how to live with a system that already knows we're falling before we're aware of it. That's a that's a that's an important system to understand. And what's really interesting, and this is where touch comes in, is if we are physically touched in a way that we feel safe and, and we accept the touch, because there's there's no touch, there's no well, such well, would there be a loving hug of reassurance as an example? Well, there are seven different types of okay, touch. Okay, well, yeah, yeah. I, I won't try and second guess. Sorry, Jerry, you you take us through them. This is going well, to be yeah. Useful. So, so well, we sometimes we accept touch that in some circumstances would be quite unacceptable. But I call it the first level is functional touch. So, hairdresser paps and pads with our hair and and you know fusses around our head. And if someone came up and did that to you on the bus, you'd <laughs> you'd want to know why. But the context defines whether we receive uh, and accept the touch. So, I what the first one is functional touch. The second one is social touch. You know, you meet someone, you, you, you give them a quick hug or you touch their shoulder or you have a handshake. That's okay. And then when you say goodbye, you probably have a bit of a contact. But in the middle, you don't expect them to keep stroking your shoulder or, 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 or you know. Or, or forever continuing hand. the handshake, right? Like yeah. going on and on and on. 
That's right. Yeah, I'm sure that's happened to some of the listeners. That someone's just kept hold of that. There was a comedy show on once. I forget it. Get it? What it was? But one of the things was that they go up and they try and shake someone's hand for as long as possible, <laughs> and it was very funny because. You know, they'd start this conversation. The guy keeps shaking his hand. Of course, the person who's having their hand shaken is like after a few seconds, like, what? this is not right, and trying to pull it away. Anyway, that's just an aside, but uh, well, it's, it's a, it can it's go call, too long, right? Yeah. It's got a, it's, it's what I call a crocodile Dundee uh, uh, transaction because, uh, he's, you know, he walked down New, in the film, he walked down New York, you know, and he was he was stopping to chat with everyone. He said, well, where are you from? And can I come around for tea? And, and it's like people were getting completely freaked out. A wonderful scene. In, in no one country. ever does that around here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the third one is what we could call playful touch. And that's not just playing in sports. It's the, the people rough and tumble. You know, they, they the blokes are quite good at this. They they punch each other's shoulders or they, they mess around a bit physically. Well, um, I used to do that with the kids. Well, blokes are really good for this with the kids. Yeah, every yeah. kid, every kid needs a whole bunch of blokes because we kind of get that rough and tumble, playful stuff. Certainly, the young boys need it, and um, but all kids need it. All kids need it. It's, it's another form of touch, and, and young babies do it. Y- y- young babies, they they as soon as as soon as they kind of connect with you, they start playing. They, they, there's a whole playfulness around babies. So playful, enjoyable human touch is just you know with the third one that I've identified. And there may be more than my seven, by the way, but this is the seven that I identify. We've got functional, social, playful. And then, of course, we've got intimate touch. And I don't just, and, and I'm really not talking about having sex. I'm just talking about people you will sit down and you sit and maybe on the settee close to, or you'll hold hands for long periods of time, or you'll cuddle up together. It's not necessarily sexual, but it's intimate. And it's done with family members. You know, my grandson, you know, he he climbs all over me, you know, and, and I'm I'm we're sitting there on the sitting on the settee and he's he's doing some story in his head, playing with something. And I'm just I'm just like, you know, well, I'm Grampsy to him. I'm Gramps, you know, and, and he climbs over Gramps. I'm just part of the furniture to him, you know. But but it's real kind of intimate and 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 it's just very um it's what we do with close friends, family, and 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 people that we share. When we've shared big, important, traumatic experiences with people, there's a bonding there. And sometimes that intimacy can come with that as well. So that's the fourth one, which is intimate touch. The fifth one, I would say, is sexual touch. And, and everyone knows what that is. That's, that's it, To me, sexual touch that is mutually received is is one that you feel you've got a your ability to consent to and you you agree to it um which brings us on to the sixth form of touch which is abusive touch which is when touch is happening that you haven't agreed to and don't want and this the seventh one is what i would call therapeutic or healing touch done with the purpose of something like clearing trauma. So to really understand how touch is so different depending on the context, just think of um, you know, a mother stroking a teenage daughter's arm gently while they're chatting in the kitchen and, and she's a little bit upset. So the mother's just gently stroking the arm, very gently, very slowly, very not, not, not heavy, just light. Just imagine in an intuitive way, right? Yeah, just, just, just slow human touch, yeah? And that's 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 fine. But what what if the same touch happened when the the teenage daughter's on a bus, and a stranger comes up and starts giving exactly that same gentle, strong, slow touch? Not the same. Touch. Not the same. It's, it's it's a nightmare. It's a horror story. Yeah. So so what I'm saying is, touch is not touch per se. Touch context. Is, it's what context exactly. Context. 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 Wow. Okay. Um, I, I'm. I was just thinking uh, a little bit earlier. I want to get your opinion on this. Um, that uh, and not ignoring what you've just said, but kind of uh, just flicking back a bit. Mask wearing, and you know, there's uh, there were arguments for stopping germs coming coming to your mouth using those, but people carry on with them, and I'm wondering if that actually offsets the anxiety. It's like it's a way of reducing your nervous system tension just by putting it on and not being totally visible. It, 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 it lowers the pressure. Uh, maybe that explains why people carry on wearing them when they know it's not right. So do you think that you will be busy 
in your business dealing with all of this. And for people who feel that they might need some attention here, what sort of time span, how long does it take to, you know, to let it go, to get it out? Or is it possible not to let everything go? You can only sort of get so far. What do you say to that? Well, there's a lot of questions in there. I oh, know. Sorry to bundle them all in at once. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the first one was about the masks. Yeah, relieving anxiety rather than protecting from germs. I mean, if it works, you'd use it, wouldn't you? Well, it, I, I actually think it increases anxiety because oh, okay. um, the, the the mechanism of breathing being inhibited is one of the most anxious uh, experiences in the human psyche. The idea that's, that in some way our breath is being restricted is likely to induce panic. So I think actually... Ah, okay, that, yeah, that, good that, point. I hadn't thought of that. The, yeah. that that's, but, you know, the other thing is that seeing people around us with masks um, is, is also highly inducive of trauma because one of the ways we learn to know whether we're safe, and, and again, I'm talking about this ancient nervous system, this instinctive nervous system that we're all, we're all humans, we're conscious, but we're also instinctive. And this instinctive part only knows we're safe, mostly knows we're safe from the space between the eyes and the chin. Right. Wow. Yeah. So the only way I know that you're a safe guy to talk to is I can see your face right now and mm. I'm watching and I'm seeing all your reactions because I'm lucky I can see you on the zoom. I know the readers yeah. can't see this, yeah. but he's a lovely guy and he's got a lovely face and, and it's like, and we're yeah. looking at, and I'm looking at that. Do with a shower. And I, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything about that. I get up early. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. You look very hard. So in terms of the mask thing, uh, if you wanted to design a system to make a population anxious and traumatized and feel traumatized, you just tell them to wear masks. That's the surest way to create trauma in any society. And that makes really what's happened, uh, you know, one of the biggest crimes in the history of humanity. Uh, and then you add that to isolation, which I've already said. Yeah. Yeah. The nervous system is a major trigger for trauma. Boy, they really, they were really trying to shut people down and pull them away from each other, weren't they? It's almost like they knew what they were doing. Um, maybe they did. Maybe they did. Um, yeah. So, how to deal with it? They come yeah. and see someone like you. And no, no, not at all. Listen, it's, it's, it's. Or they can uh, help themselves through through those. Exactly. Tips. Exactly. Yeah. I look. I, I, I saw this coming, and I. I actually put on my website free videos for any person anywhere in the world to access without any cost at all, which shows people how they can do 10, 15 minutes with a safe person and they got to get the context right. So I got 10 short videos and they're just there for everyone. And it's my gift to humanity. And it's like in only four of those are about the actual touch. Six of those videos are about context, context, context. And I've everyone can do this because everyone understands touch. You don't need to be a qualified massage therapist or a qualified psychotherapist to help someone discharge the trauma from their nervous system. And people can go to my website and get access to that without a penny being spent. And they can do it with their partners, with their friends, and they can learn how to do it. And, and that's jerrypives.com. Okay. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I've got it open right now. How long does it take, Jerry? Help yourself and and try and dissipate this. How long can it take? Well, it'll it, take, it, no quick fix. I'm picking. It, well, listen, it'll take a day to learn how to do this touch right. That's how long the ten videos take to watch, and 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 then it takes then it takes doing it very very regularly. So if you know you don't expect to. Um, be sitting in a lotus posture in yoga after one session. You know, you might have to go 20 years to get there. Um, how much trauma have you got in your nervous system? Well, that's a really good question. And that's the question that people should, that's what medics should be asking. That's what they should be measuring, but they're not. They're only finding ways to give you more drugs. But the real question is, how much are you carrying? Because most of us are carrying more trauma than we could ever imagine. So what happens when people start doing this and they start doing this simple 10, 15 minute uh, touch exchange, I call it. And this is in the seventh level of touch. This is the therapeutic healing touch. You're not doing it for sex. You're not doing it for intimacy. You're not doing it for playfulness. You can't play around with this touch. It'll ruin it because the body won't respond in the right way. 
if the body gets in the right space, if you get in the right space to receive this touch for the right purpose, which is, hey, I might be carrying trauma, and, and it'll discharge silently, invisibly, it'll just go. It'll just go like a, think of a conducting wire, you know, a copper conducting wire, you know, that's what you can become for someone's trauma if you do this touch with them. And and it's like your touch on another person's body, simply all agreed. And it's the same touch as we give to babies. There are just three types of touch that we all give babies that work for the nervous system. That's why parents do it instinctively. That's why we all know it instinctively. And, and if you do this touch, you will literally discharge because you've got a physical touch with that person. It gives a route out for that trauma to discharge. About 80% of the trauma we're carrying does not need to be talked about. It's just being accumulated because we've lost the traditional ways of removing it. It's that simple. And we need a new measure. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, my purpose, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual guy. I believe I'm being put here to share this information. And then, I, listen, I'm going to be traveling around New Zealand and showing anyone who wants to learn it to, to how to do it as well. It's there on the videos, but it's so much cooler to learn it as well. And, you know, I'm, anyone wants me to come and, and my wife and I, this is what we, this is how we've survived um, throughout this time. And it's not just for us, it's for everybody. So just go to our website and send us an email, sign up for our newsletter and, and you'll hear where we're, wherever we're going. I'm, I'm going on the road, Paul, to show communities how they can reconnect with each other, whatever their political opinion. We're all traumatized and we need a way to get out. And it's not enough to do it on our own and do all the self-healing exercises that everyone tells us about. We need each other. You know, we need each other to get out of this. And community is how we can reclaim everything, put things right. That's that's the answer. It's not, not government down instructions. It's local communities getting together. And we can do this together. We can all do this together. And the biggest secret of all is that touch can remove trauma like nothing else on this planet. Wow. That was cool. I'm just thinking, though, and uh, I mean, this is not a doubt or anything, but, you know, that discharge process, I guess it has to be some form of energy that discharges. Does that, uh, you know, in the touch process, does that, where is that shifted? Is it shifted into the environment? Is it shifted? Does it transmit through the person you, you're doing this with? And it doesn't store on them, I take it. They're just like, a, like you say, that sort of lightning rod to what? Ground it to the earth. Is that how it yeah. works? Yeah, well, it, it, it does work that way. We don't, I don't fully know how it works. I just know it does. I'm 40 years, 40 years a body worker, um, and I've, I've done my time, and, and I've, I've worked with over 3,000 massage therapists. I became a trainer as well, and I was teaching them. And the most important thing is how you the, – the act of giving touch – is probably the most important thing of all. We've 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 had this taken away, and it's been given to experts like massage therapists, actually. And it's not for just massage. Massage is amazing, and everyone should go and get one a week, in my opinion. But there we go. But, <laughs> okay. but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, human giving, human giving of physical touch is a birthright. It's we're designed to be able to do this for each other. We're made perfect. My spiritual belief is that we were made divine. And part of that divinity is, you know, we can touch another person and we give that touch to them. And if they receive it, we become someone who participates in life, in their healing. And we don't need their story. We don't need to know about their stories. You can do this with strangers if they accept the touch. Right, yeah. Right yeah. We don't need a story. We don't need a psychotherapist. Now, some of the traumas might, but only 10, 20%. 80% of what everyone's carrying can just be relieved, can be passed out. It needs the friction of touch to, like, imagine electrical energy. And you know what? Oh, the videos I've given explain how you don't store it in yourself. Because yeah. it is possible to store it in yourself. It is possible. You don't right? want to take on someone else's trauma. No, no. So you have um, to do it in a certain yeah. way. So we have to know part of the context is what are you doing with your mind when you're receiving the touch? And what am I doing with my mind 
when I'm giving the touch. And we each need to know about that. There's a separate, definite thing we do with our brains, with our heads. If we get our heads in the right place and, our, and we take off our shoes and so we've got bare feet, it works. Yeah. I just can say it works. I haven't done all the scientific studies. I've just been observing it for 40 damn years. <laughs> oh, well, we need to get experts to confirm it. Jerry, I'm I'm afraid yeah. an epidemiologist in studies. That's yeah. what we need. Are you peer reviewed? Well, don't we trust those now? Don't we just trust those so much? I mean, that that guy, what's his called, Matthias Desmet, psychologist. Before he came out talking about you know mass formation and what's the hypnotism that's going on at the moment, he he guess what he was doing? Do you want to know what he was doing before he did that? Tell me. He was doing a study on all these academic studies. And his findings were that 80% of them were a crock of... Okay, yeah. Why am I not surprised? Okay. <laughs> 80%, well, 80% of these 80, expert journals were, yeah. were just wrong. Follow the money, Jerry. <laughs> All right, so quickly the book. Tell me about the book quickly and tell uh, folks well, about the book and how they can um, you know, access it if they want. Yeah, well, I had to do something creative and positive. So I wrote this book during the two years of lockdown. And that's all I did. I didn't do anything else. Um, and I spent two years putting together everything that I'd learned uh, through both touch and psychotherapy. And this book tells the story of my journey to discover that the thing that society has most been shunning, which is touch, um, is the one thing that we all need the most. So the the cure is in the thing that everyone believes is the most scary thing. And I wanted to make touch safe, understandable, and share a lifetime of that, plus the psychotherapy work I do, the transactional analysis I'm a part of, um, which is a, a, one approach to psychotherapy that, that I follow, that we use. And it was looking at touch as a transaction and what what are we delivering when we touch? What are we taking? What messages are being given and received? And so that's that's the book. And people can you know download the videos and start doing this stuff straight away. But if you want to read the story of how that how I discovered it and understand it, um, you know, you can go on that website. It's the only place I'm selling the book. I won't sell the book through Amazon or any of these corrupt global corporations. And um, if you, you know, if if you if you find what I'm saying valuable, then just buy the book as a thank you. <laughs> Fair enough. And um, sounds like a great effort. Um, at least you had that to do through that time. In fact, that could have been a blessing. That time. Uh, actually, actually, Paul, it was a total horror story to be writing oh. about trauma and touch okay. during isolation. I can't think of a better time not to write a book like that. Okay, all right, <laughs> but but it's done. Point is, yeah, it's done. It's, it's just been published, and and it's it's there, and it's also I've done it in an audio version, so people can have it while they're busy doing other things and listen to it, and it's in an ebook version. It's all done, all available on my website, and. Um, yeah, the thing the, th the thing about the audio, I just want to say that I, I actually spent far more money than I had uh, in doing a proper recording. And you'll know how expensive it can be to really do top quality uh, sound recording of, of, of an audio. An audio recording is really hard to do because you've got silences and what yeah. noise is going on around and how does that silence sound and what pause duration? I had to get a sound engineer, gifted guy down here in Wanaka and, and, we spent about three weeks recording this and, you know, it was, I did this for one reason only because one of the ways when we're discussing or thinking about trauma and trying to understand trauma, the trouble is the minute we start thinking or writing about it is that we start feeling traumatized, just thinking about trauma. Right. Or writing yeah. about it. So what convinces us that we're not alone? Well, the sound of another human voice. Yeah. And we call it prosody, which is my favorite word in the English language at the moment. And it's the melody of prose. Prosody. Nice. And if you if you want to listen or read about trauma, think about you know a, an audio book, because then you've got well, you'll have me. You'll have me inside your head, actually. And <laughs> that means you're not alone, you know. And yeah, that's I'm, right. Yeah. I haven't got a beautiful, gravelly voice like you have, Paul, but but it's a good enough voice for you to know that actually everything's okay. The nervous system needs to know, you know what? It's okay. It's all going to be okay. We just got to get through this. Jerry Pives, transactional analysis, psychotherapist and massage therapist from Wanaka.
40 years experience. What an interesting chat, Jerry. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Paul, and I uh, thank you for all the work you're doing right now. Well, just a cog in the machine, okay? Aren't we all? <laughs> Trying to lower that, that trauma. We're, we're sort of like a virtual form of letting it go. Yeah, well, the sound Clearing of, the air. I the, call sound it clearing of your, the air. The sound of your voice is just soothing everyone, I'm sure. Oh, so. that's nice. If you want me to do a talking book one day, I'll, I'll let you know. Hey, that would be or great. I, I don't want to do another one, I tell you. That was such hard work. <laughs> Actually, three weeks. All right. Okay, Jerry. Jerry Pives, thanks for coming on Reality Check Radio. And uh, we may chat again. Thank you very much, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.